Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Okay, now we're about two days away from Christmas, I believe, uh, two, three days away. And as I had promised, uh, Sean and I are back. That means two episodes in the same week, which is which is a novelty, but I'm, I'm trying to pay back. You know, I, I feel like I let you guys down. I had a couple weeks where I was out playing and, and working and traveling. And so I thought, let me build on it before the year goes out and coming into the holidays. What the heck? Let's do this. Uh, again, let me just also say that I apologize up front for being a little nasally. I think all the travel got the better of me. So I'll try to enunciate the best I can through my nose and uh, where I get into trouble, I have Sean pick up. So Sean, let's say hello to folks and let them know what we're going to do. Hey everybody. I'm really excited to do two podcasts in one week and we are going to talk about periodization and, you know, going into the new season and how to really kind of program the training uh, for you to be your peak self before, you know, the races that you want to do. Yep. That's the plan, and who knows where it's going to go. I mean, the wheels might fall off the bus early. Who knows? So let's let's build on the concept of periodization. For those of you out there that are scratching your head and are not familiar with the term, periodization is basically an organization of work over time. What you're going to do, when you're going to do it, how often you're going to do it, with a theme in mind. For example, the last podcast we had, Sean and I were talking about his plans for the season, and... His A race is going to be the world's toughest. Obviously enough, that's going to be an ultra event. It's going to be very challenging. It's going to take a lot of endurance. So his focus is leading up to that event. That may not be what you guys are hoping to do, but concept being that organizing work over time with intent is what periodization is all about. So I think the first thing that we need to discuss is what specifically is it that you need to work on? And how much time do you have to dedicate to those tasks? The last podcast I had mentioned that I get very little resistance from other athletes in respect to the concept of you need to run fast, run well in order to win obstacle course races. If you're very proficient at obstacles, Odds are that alone won't get you to the winner's circle. You're going to need to be able to run. So it's a primary consideration, and it needs to be paramount on the list of things that you need to work on. And then, of course, your strength, your stability, your power, and, of course, your grip strength is very, very important. So if you start by first deciding how much time you hope to spend, plan to spend, initially going into your training. Sean and I talked about this before we went live, and uh, I'll share with you that in the book I wrote, which was designed for running specifically, I have a chapter in the book that is titled, How You Categorize Yourself as a Runner. So essentially the question is, would you call yourself a novice? 
would you call yourself an intermediate or would you call yourself an experienced or advanced runner? And I actually have a checklist that you can, you know, self-diagnose where you stand in the scheme of things in order to determine whether, in fact, you're a novice, intermediate, or advanced runner. The first consideration is currently how much running are you able to do without having any issues. So if you looked at your common week of training, do you run for three hours in the week? Do you run for five? Do you run for 10? How many hours are you putting in now? Sean, typically, where are you with your running? And I'm not talking about at the moment. I'm talking about on average. What do you, what do you find is your sweet spot for volume in training per week? Uh, probably would say 25 to 30 miles a week. And how long does that take you? Uh, with, let's say, and most of that's aerobic, um, I would probably say a matter of five, five to six hours. Well, it's an interesting concept, and I'm glad you yeah. brought it up the way you did, because yeah. a lot of people will look at how many miles they actually achieve in a week. Yeah. And, and use that as kind of their yardstick for their performance. And you can mm -hmm. do that, but it really boils down to how much time you spend training, right? Absolutely. Training influence is relative to time and intensity. So if you said you ran for five hours, it almost doesn't matter to me whether you achieve 50 miles, 40 miles, 30 miles. It's about the time you spent. Yep. Right? And yep. So my first recommendation before you even start to think about organizing your work, start thinking in terms of time under tension. What are mm -hmm. you doing and how long did it take you to do it? Commonly when I do my clinics, people will ask me how they arrange their work. And usually what I'll tell them is that you use like a 60-20-20 formula. And it's kind of a broad stroke, but it's a good place to start. So... If you were going to say, I'm willing to spend 10 hours with a training, I'm going to use 10 hours simply because the math is easier for me. Yep. I'm not that sharp. <laughs> but uh, if you're going to train for 10 hours, I'd like to see about six of those hours dedicated to aerobic conditioning. All right? Yep. And two hours would be dedicated to focus on skill. So we, we talked a lot over various episodes about motor skill development. If you don't understand what it is, go back to the archive and yep. I'm sure you'll find it. But motor skill development is actually where your focus and intent is improving the way you move through space. Because if you move more efficiently, you're going to become more economical. It's a really critical component of your training. And then in a lot of regard, it almost doesn't matter what time you put what ingredient into the pot as long as the ratios are correct. So let's say hypothetically that your intent is to put in an hour worth of aerobic running. You could easily throw in 15 minutes worth of motor skill development drills before your aerobic run, after your aerobic run. You could even throw it in behind or in front of a lactate tolerance drill. You could throw it in in front of hill repeats, VO2 max type uh, drills. It doesn't make a difference because at the end of the day, the way it shakes out, or I should say at the end of the week, the way it shakes out 
is how much time you spent dedicated to those various components. Would you agree yeah. with that? I'd agree with that. Okay. So at the end of the week, if it shakes out that 60% of the energy you spent was dedicated to aerobic conditioning, 20% was dedicated to motor skills, and 20% was dedicated, shared between lactate tolerance and hill repeats. So there's you could do this a lot of different ways. You could decide. Now, hill repeats, by the way, I usually refer to VO2 max improvement type of training. I, I usually allocate short, high-intensity hill repeats. Going up hard, recovering well, going up hard, recovering well, really works in the myocardium, develops your heart strength, your cardiac output improves. It's basically working on the pump, okay? So that is generally going to be over-threshold type activities. That's why I throw it in the mix with lactate tolerance training. Where lactate tolerance training is actually a little more gentle from a standpoint of intensity, but it's you're spending time over threshold and you're getting that inoculation, you're getting into that lactate and you're starting to learn to deal with it. So for the moment, let's just say that the focus would be regardless of the number of hours you plan to train in the given week, you begin with those ratios of dedicated tasks. Questions so far? Uh, no, not at the moment. Ask a question for somebody. Just be devil's advocate. Okay, so let's let the, you know we've talked about hill repeats. What would another thing that I can do in regards to lactate tolerance training, VO two max improvement? Well, now again, there I'm not going to put the I put them in the same basket simply okay. because both of them will take you over threshold. Yes. However, the VO2 max drills, even though they're short and high intensity, because we call for so much recovery, you could almost, if you looked at the 30 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever it is that you dedicated, if you look at the lion's share of the time in that process, the majority of it is actually aerobic. Mm-hmm. Because you're recovering, right? Yeah. And that makes the, sense. The time into the intensity is, is brief, but it's very powerful, but it's going to take you over threshold. And, but I just like to basket it with the lactate tolerance because of the nature of being over threshold for whatever period of time. Mm-hmm. So they're different. Lactate tolerance is, as we discussed many, many times before, is about getting over threshold, spending a dedicated amount of time above threshold, followed by a dedicated time recovering aerobically to help flush some of the lactate from the system. Got it. Okay. So we're not going to go into that rant just now, but yep. I, I'm just trying to organize work over time. So the other thing, and I'm sure people scratching their heads right now, well, you're talking about running, but what about all the other components of my training? Now, if you're going to spend, let's just say that you have 90 minutes to train. You'll have days where maybe the lion's share of your dedication of time is going to be in the gym working on various components of, of your strength and very specific uh, grip-oriented type exercises like, you know, you, if all these OCR gyms that exist these days give you ample opportunity to spend a lot of time working on your grip strength in various modalities, right? Yep. So, you, you, you know, maybe you're in the, it's easy to spend an hour in the gym, really easy. Now, the time that you're actually working while you're in that gym is a whole other animal, right? Mm-hmm. 
So let bouldering me is a good example. Yeah. Okay. You know? So let, let's yeah. let's look at it that way. So you go bouldering in a gym, and yeah. aside from the time you spend hanging with your buds, chatting about this or that, waiting for him to do something, you're watching. He's waiting for you to finish what you're doing. You're out there for an hour, maybe two hours. How much of that time do you actually find yourself where the body is dealing with some fashion of intensity or, or duration? Let's say if you're doing, because I, I boulder quite a bit, two hours in the bouldering gym, maybe an educated guest would probably be 20, 25 minutes. Right. Yeah. So that's the only part that counts, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When it comes down to looking at or quantifying the amount of work you're doing, it doesn't count, you know, bullshitting with the buddies. <laughs> yeah. Or or recovering, you know, in terms of just grip strength. Yeah. So. so you may actually take up a lot more of your day in that activity, but the amount of time that you're actually working, you know, you can't it's minimal. Say, yeah. You can't say, well, yeah, well, I boulder for four hours, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you really didn't, right? Yeah. And where when you're running, it's a different story because you're constantly moving and you're constantly mm-hmm. in, into some level of effort and you're you're exhibiting some fashion of heart rate while you're doing what you're doing. So it's a different animal. It's a lot easier to quantify that progress than it is to quantify the amount of work you're getting done in the gym. And the recovery is part of the time, you know, in terms of your workout. So in, mo- in most cases. Yeah. So. And incidentally, there was a time ago where I talked about the importance of lactate tolerance training for grip strength. So if you're really going to be diligent in that regard, you have to start thinking about that concept because I'm going to visit it very briefly and I know it's going to cause all kinds of controversy and questions, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Neurologically, when you grab hold of something and you're hanging, right? grabbing a bar, grabbing a rope, whatever you're doing, and now you have this isometric contraction in your forearms and your back and whatever, whatever's holding you in place, right? You're collectively developing lactate in that region. The longer you hold on, the more lactate you're producing and eventually it becomes acidic and it will cause you to let go. And the mechanisms neurologically that are in play that will cause you to let go are referred to as the Golgi tendon organ and the muscle spindle. So the Golgi tendon organ is this mechanism, this mechanoreceptor that's communicating with the central nervous system at the end of a particular length of material. So like, let's just say we're talking about your bicep. So the origin and insertion of your bicep, so the the outer lengths of your bicep, that's where the Golgi tendons reside. And the muscle spindle resides in the belly of the muscle. And so these dudes are communicating with each other. And they're identifying stress. And they're trying to make a decision. They're trying to impart information to the central nervous system so your central nervous system can make a decision to either continue to hold or identify that they need to let go. Right? But when your muscles are bathed in this lactate, it will cause you to let go. So you're getting so acidic that the the, the nerve endings and the muscle is just so toxic that eventually it's just got to let go. And so you develop a timeline in how long you could hold on to something by developing your lactate tolerance within those regions. It's got to do with your hand grip. 
It's got to do with your back. It's got to do with your biceps. It's got to do with your forearms. All of the chain of mechanism that is holding you in place is becoming toxic as you are in this isometric position. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, I've thought about time under tension, but not into that detail. You know what I mean? Well, of course, yeah. So you know yeah. that there's a length of time that you can hold oh, on yeah. to something. And 100%. then you just, you know, in a, in a simple way of looking at it is you're looking at how long can I hold on to this? I'm getting better at it. And mm -hmm. really, that's at the end of the day, that's what you need to know. But yeah. if, if you understand the mechanisms behind it, then you can better understand how to manipulate it. And, mm -hmm. and the reason I'm even going on to this tirade about this is because we talked about the length of time that you're in the gym doing what you're doing and actually the length of time that you're actually doing something while you're in that gym. So if you focused on a graded amount of time that you intend to hold on to something and a graded amount of time that you intend to recover, it ends up being very much like the way you run. Absolutely. So when we talk about lactate tolerance when you're running, it's a function of how much time you, you reside in this, this toxic environment relative to a particular heart rate and how much time you recover. Now, heart rate does not come into play when you're isometric. Odds are that your heart rate's going to go up after you let go. Mm -hmm. But you're not going to see a noticeable uh, target heart rate that you're trying to achieve, much like when you're running. Somebody asked me about this a while back, and they were kind of quizzical about the whole concept of lactate tolerance. They're saying, my heart rate doesn't go up when I'm hanging on to something. So how does that become an issue? Or how do you train that? So time then has to be an issue. So you'll start to identify how long you can hold on with your body weight and how soon you need to let go. And then you start to work on timelines of recovery and work. Okay. So again, the reason I even bring that up is because I'm trying to go to the more complex aspect of your periodization, which is when you are doing these strength or skill-based components in the gym or outside, do you look at how much time you intend to do these things and how much time you are able to dedicate to these various components effectively? Let me just create a comparative here. So let's just say that you're identifying, in your case, that you need to do World's Toughest Mudder you intend to try to run for 24 hours. Yes. Tomorrow is probably not the day where you go out and try to run for 24 hours. <laughs> no, no. You're going to want to build up to that, right? You're going to want to Absolutely. build up the tolerance and the capacity to, to keep your body moving for that great length of time. Mm -hmm. Well, the same thing applies when you go into a gym. There's a periodized fashion in which you approach it. You're not going to want to try to throw a five-hour workout in the gym which is going to trash you for the next two weeks or possibly yeah. cause... Uh, Even longer, or, injury. Or get injury, right? You said, yeah. you know, how many guys do you know that have had a dislocated shoulder, a torn bicep or something like this because they just went over the top with the work that they did in the gym too early? Mm -hmm. So again, when you start thinking about this dedication of time, it's important to take into account what you're capable of at this moment and what reasonable progression should be leading into your training. So let's go back to the timeline again. So let's just say that we decided we're going to put in 10 hours worth of training. Yep. And we're going to dedicate, we're going to do seven hours worth of running and three hours worth of strength training in a week. Got it. If you manage to get to the gym 
for 30 minutes and we're focused on the work you're doing each time you visit, I promise you that will be enough, almost regardless of who you are. Would you agree with that? I'd agree with it. I mean, most of my sessions in the gym are 30 to 45 minutes, so I'd agree with it. Yeah. If you don't dilly-dally, yeah. if, if, you don't, if you don't mess around, if you hold yourself to task in respect to the amount of time you plan to recover and the amount of time you plan to be under load, Yep. Which, which, by the way, brings me back to, to looking at time relative to repetitions or, in the case of running, miles. Mm-hmm. Right? So think about this for a second. Let's just say that in your training we intend to do step-ups. And you're going to do step-ups with load. So let's just kind of build this out. Let's just say that you got a 24-inch step. You're going to do some step-ups. And you're going to use some load. So you're going to put like... Uh, uh, you're tough. You're going to put 45-pound dumbbells in each hand. And you're going to place a foot on the block. And you're going to step up and spend 30 seconds stepping up progressively with one leg. And then 30 seconds progressively with one leg. Or mm-hmm. the other leg. So you got you got a, a minute worth of step-ups under load. And then you're going to hold yourself to a 30-second recovery in between each leg. If you did four sets of those... You haven't spent a ton of time, and I promise you, you're on fire. Your legs, your body is going to be racked after that little bit of uh, work. And oh, I can tell you that from experience. I've done that uh, uh, eight, instead of 30 seconds, just eight reps per leg uh, with about a 40-pound dumbbell on each arm, and you're, you're toast after just a set of that. So. Yep. Yeah. Well, and but let's get back to time for a second. Of course, yep. So, so the repetitions become kind of evasive like you could you can if you were set up on a timeline and you're just going to stay continually moving for that particular time and mm-hmm. and, and allow yourself a, a, a guarded recovery it's an animal it, it's yeah. it's a difficult proposition as opposed to just having a target of repetitions to achieve good point and if you did it that way if you got 30 minutes in the gym Let's just say that you allocated six different exercises you're going to do. And for those six exercises, you're going to spend three minutes for each. And that's not taking into account the recovery. Yep. You're out of the gym in 30 minutes. Yeah. And you're probably crawling out of the gym in 30 minutes, <laughs> right? And, and if you were to look at that and going back to that timeline we talked about, if you spent... Six days a week, you spend 30 minutes a day. That's a lot. It's probably too much, quite frankly. You know, mm-hmm. You'd have to rethink it. But the point of the matter is this, is that organizing the work over time is something that you need to determine up front. And you need to have progression. So if you have an event that's four months out, for example, the, and you orchestrated the, the training in such a way that it was designed to take you to, to success at that event, where your focus and training is all specific to that distance or that type of event, now you got a periodized program. We talked about it in the last episode where we talked about doing time trials, um, yeah. trying to figure out where you are. We're quantifying our ability up front to determine you know, where we need to go with this leading into the, the, the various events, right? Yep. And the same thing would apply there with the strength component. You just have to ask yourself, what is going to be the task that I need to prepare for? 
uh, and I've had this conversation with some elite pros where there was a the challenge in, in their races that they faced that was insurmountable. For example, when they started introducing those 400-pound Yokohama tires. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you know people that were, were shocked and, and were incapable of flipping those tires. Mm-hmm. And to that end, I started talking to people about working on their deadlifts. You know, at the end of the day, picking up weight off the ground and extending your hips with it is essentially what you need to be able to do in order to flip that tire. Mm-hmm. So we started looking at that as a task-specific exercise. And we talked about sport specificity. So when you start arranging the, these workouts, you should start thinking in terms of the type of exercises that are going to be appropriate leading into that event. And you know, cut the, the fluff out of the program. Don't just do exercises that your buddy's doing. Yeah, or don't do exercises that you just kind of want to do rather than what you need to do in terms of your specific strengths and weaknesses. Well, and then so walking into a gym all by itself is problematic because gyms historically have been designed for visual appeal, bodybuilding style workouts. Mm -hmm. And commonly, you can run into gym rats that, you know, are coaching or training people in the gym that have these repetition continuums and programs that are very isolated movement patterns. They're breaking up body parts. So, for example, it's not uncommon to say, I'm doing back biceps today. I'm going to do shoulders, legs tomorrow. I'm going to do whatever. You know, they they segregate these body parts. And this is all about trying to find this visual appeal. You're trying to find symmetry in your, your image. So, Yes. You know, for you you used to wear me out when people would do like leg presses, toes in, toes out, toes straight, legs high, legs low. And they're just trying to hit all these different heads of the musculature, thinking that that's going to cause to form the muscles so that they become more appealing to look at, larger, more defined. And if you've never if you've never seen these uh, competitions, these uh, strongman competitions, where, oh man! Yeah. Where a what a bodybuilder shows up, you know, and the guy looks like a monster, and he goes yes. up against one of these powerlifters, and the guy makes him look look like a little girl, right? Yeah. Because the powerlifters are focusing on moving load, and it's functional strength type exercises, where bodybuilders tend to work on exercises that are going to shape the muscle and cause the muscle to be more pleasing to look at. It's not the same functionality we're gathering. So getting back to sports specificity, you go into the gym, you need to start thinking about the task. What is it that I'm trying to accomplish? What is it going to benefit me? What's the closest path or fastest path to achieving that end? Yeah. And, you need to have a plan before you go in. Well, yeah. And, and you got to think it through. So yeah. you, you, you got to start asking yourself, you know, we're talking about this quantification process. You got to start ask, asking yourself, where is it that you're weak? And how much yep. time should be dedicated to, to shore up those weaknesses? So that becomes a very big part of it. And then it should be a function of progression. And mm-hmm. progression is almost as important as regression. I'm going to say that again. Your progression is almost as important as your regression. Because your regression is the time in recovery between the workouts, between your process. Because your body develops as it's recovering. 
Your body mm-hmm. does not develop while it's working, right? Yeah. And so it's really, really critical that you not only arrange work to do, but you arrange time off so that your body can recover from what you've done. In periodization, it's typically broken into cycles. And the macro cycle would be, for example, the timeline between today and your target event. And in your case, we're looking at a little bit more than a year out, right? No. Pretty no. much, yeah. Well, uh, well November. No, no, so, no, no, no. Uh, about 10 months. Okay, so 10 months. So your macro cycle would be 10 months. Mm-hmm. And if you divided those 10 months into quarters, so that'd be like your mesocycles. So okay. every two and a half months would be a mesocycle within the macro cycle. Okay. And then your micro cycles would be broken down into weeks. And so two and a half months, so what are we looking at? That's uh, 10 weeks, right? 10 weeks, yeah, 10 weeks. So your, your micro cycles might be broken into uh, two and a half weeks. Okay. So you see how it works. You got two and a half weeks. We got two and a half months. And, and then the, tw- the 10 months. Right. So, you know, the, the annual almost like quarterly. Right. So the, the point of the matter is, is that if you were to line out some work for two and a half weeks and you're basing it on the volume and the intensity you're bringing to the table. So initially the volume and the intensity is relatively low. But after every two and a half weeks, you're going to progressively increase the volume. You're going to start to increase the intensity. And then maybe at the end of your first mesocycle, you may start bumping up the volume more, maybe you're starting to back off the, the intensity a little bit. And, and at the end of the day, the theme is how you grade the volume versus the intensity leading into that event based on the demands, based on the needs. And, Got it. And in between those cycles, you're going to start organizing some recovery time. So let's just say that you're going to dedicate three days off of total active recovery between each microcycle. Okay, so that would be three days a week off, or yes. that be well, no, okay. not necessarily off, but but you're going to back off. You're going to back off the types of things you were doing. Maybe do Got some it. kind of unrelated activity at a low intensity, just to let your body repair. Got it. And you might initially not need as much time off as you might need later. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess what I'm trying to build here, and it's all over the map, I apologize, but conceptually what I'm trying to get across here is that you're organizing the work in such a fashion that you're you're knowing what your intent is leading into the next cycle, leading into the next cycle, leading into the next cycle. And how you're manipulating the variables, like the amount of intensity, the type of exercises you do, the whole thing is orchestrated in such a way that it's planning on taking you to the Holy Grail, which is you're going to show up in peak condition for the event that is most important to you. You could also interject some B races. You're talking about a 10-month cycle, and you've already suggested in the last episode that you're intending to do some half marathons yep. and, and some shorter distance road races that are preparatory for you to get to this place. And you also talked about some some eight-hour OCR events that you had planned, which, yes. which are good preparation leading into it. Now, obviously enough, if you're planning properly, 
you're not going to throw that eight-hour event into your first microcycle. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you're not going to say, okay, I'm going to do an eight-hour event in two weeks. Yes. And coming off the off-season, you're just not ready to do that, right? No. So you might plan it to be, well, oh, let's say at the beginning of your, your second mesocycle. Which so, is funny because that, that's, that's pretty much, if we were looking at January as a start, that would be the exact time. So. so we're looking at two and a half months. Yes. So you'd have essentially 10 weeks worth of training to prepare for that particular end. Mm-hmm. And so let's break those B races into task and say, start from that event and start working backwards mentally. Where do I need to be when I decide to race here? Obviously, you need eight hours on your feet. Yes. And so your volume needs to be consistent with that task. Mm-hmm. You can't get away with no more than an hour and a half duration on your feet at your peak training volume and expect to be successful in an event that's going to ask you to be there for eight hours. Yeah, I can't get away with, let's say, 10 to 15 miles a week or let's say, you know, if that equates to a 10-minute mile, uh, two, two and a half hours a week of just right. being on feet. It would have to be, you know, to your point, um, at least eight hours. You right. Know? And, so. and we talked about time trialing. So I like Absolutely. these time trials to show up probably at the end of or the beginning of every second microcycle. So okay. if you're looking at five weeks, right? Mm-hmm. You're five weeks in, you do a time trial. Five more weeks in, you do another time trial. Given the, the task at hand and the, the level of fitness that you carry into the game to start with, your first time trial might be 10 miles. Yeah. Or put it another way, we could say, well, no, time trials, I, it's important that I make this distinction. Time okay. trials are relative to distance, not time. Yeah. Okay? So the difference is your training is orchestrated based on time, but your time trials are dedicated to distance. Because the focus is to find out how long it takes you to cover the distance. Yeah. Got it? So, so, so kind of give you an example. Uh, the first two and a half months, actually, I made a, made a mistake here, is going to be the next week would be the half marathon. So would a half marathon be a good kind of almost time trial, you know, in terms of distance to work with or something shorter than that? Well, I would still have a time trial. I, I yeah, would, because of course. I, obviously you want to do well at that half marathon. So I would yes. like to know if I go out, actually, I would probably do a couple time trials between now and then. A shorter distance time trial, maybe a 10K. Yeah. Just to see what your running pace looks like in a 10K. Mm-hmm. Sustainable pace. And then maybe do an aerobic 10 miler. 10K. 10 okay. miler. I would go 10 miles just to see if I stay at the upper end of my aerobic capacity, what does it look like at the end of that 10 miles? And Got that's going to start feeding you for your half marathon. You get a sense of what you can get away with, what you can't. But those time trials are going to be plugged in to your scheme, right? So all yeah. along this macro cycle, this larger b- block of time, you're really going to be getting in there and taking into account when these time trials are going to be placed in there, mm-hmm. how much progressive volume you're going to need to get to those particular end games, right? Yep. So we got a half marathon, so we're looking at sub two hours. Yeah. So you got a sub two hour event. Uh, so you start thinking about what you need to do to get to that. But you also have to start thinking past that because it's not that far off in the future that you're going to plan on running that eight-hour event. No. 
So you almost need to, that, that half marathon should be like a speed bump. Yeah. And yeah. you start looking at the tasks and you start looking at how you're going to orchestrate the training to get you to those particular B goals and how those B goals are going to start leading you towards those A goals. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of funny because you first know that block of time, you've got 10 months to prepare mm-hmm. for, for the A race. And then those speed bumps in the middle, the different uh, events that you have planned, you're globally looking at where you need to be to get to the end of that macrocycle, to the end of that training scheme for that A race. And then, so let's just talk about the races. The world toughest mutter is your Mm -hmm. A race. Yes. You ask yourself, what do I need to be able to do successfully navigate that course? Obviously Mm -hmm. enough, you want to be on your feet for 24 hours. Yes. All right, so the volume that needs to precede that, that starts to get into your head. And where you need to be, time and space, in preparation for that. And then mm-hmm. we go backwards to the next closest event, which in your case, I think, is probably one of the Tough Mudder eight-hour events, right? Yeah, in November would be that, obviously, World's Toughest Mudder, and then I'm, I'm contemplating doing a 50-miler in August or uh, uh, July. All right. So, but you so, you weren't sure about that, but I forgot. So, what, what, I was not sure about that. So. Right. So the fifty miler is mm-hmm. call that the A minus race, right? Yeah. Because that's going to be a very telling event. Quite frankly, I, I think you should do it. I will. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to do it. It's just a matter of finding uh, an event in that time frame. So. Right. So a fifty miler is is like A minus event. Yeah. And clearly, your goal would be to successfully complete that distance. Absolutely. And start to think about the, the amount of volume that's necessary for you to get to that place. Mm-hmm. And how long it's going to take you to achieve that end. Yeah. Right? So time on your feet again. Yeah. So you should start thinking about where you want to peak with your volume and your running collectively, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And And obviously enough, I don't particularly recommend that you try to run for 24 hours. Mm-hmm leading up to a 24-hour event. But I think that um, I would absolutely get to a place where you're on your feet for 12 hours. Yeah. And maybe do that a few times. And we're talking per week, correct? Uh, No, I'm talking about an event. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And it could be a training event. It doesn't have to be a race. Yeah. Where your focus is, geez, I wonder if I start at midnight Mm -hmm. and run through the night and try to run till noon. What's well, that? I'd be successful. Well, yeah. not only that, but you you got the, the issues of being in the dark. You got yep. the issues if you're possibly on trail using a light and all those yeah. training concerns. So mm-hmm. this gets very complicated, right? But yeah. the whole concept of periodizing your training is to sit down and have that come to Jesus meeting with yourself and start thinking about what it is that you need to do and when the timelines are for you to be able to achieve it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether you've had that kind of conversation with yourself. It sounds like you have to some degree. Well, I mean, obviously I have a coach, so, you know, you got to, it's just a conversation I have with my coach. So, oh, that's deferring the responsibility to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is he telling you? What is, is, is he the one that suggested you do a 50 miler and then do those other races? Yes. Yes. Good. Sounds like yeah. a good plan, you know? Yeah. It yeah. does. So 
The conversation at large here is about periodization and ra- arranging work over time. Mm-hmm. And it gets to be a really slippery slope if you don't quite mm-hmm. get it. But mm-hmm. if, if nothing else, I'll bet you dollars to donuts there's people out there right now starting to second guess themselves in respect to what their intent was and when they hoped to get to the promised land, which is success at a given race. If nothing else, if we invoke thought, we've already got people on a better path. Because if you're not looking at arranging your work over time systematically, if you're not including dedicated amount of recovery, then you're really not going to be as successful as you could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to, you know, the points of making a timeline, you know, for example, almost kind of to your points, looking at an example, 10 hours, and then, you know, looking at what type of events you want to do and then scheduling for success in regards to your strengths and weaknesses um, between that, but making running a a big priority of of it because running is king. Running is going to win you the race, you know, so. Well, a lot of it, too, is is really a a function of time analysis and and time allocation. Mm-hmm. So when you get to a place where you're pretty comfortable that your volume is doing what it needs to do and you really need to give that a break a little bit, mm-hmm. then maybe you start to focus on the more technical aspects of the events. Yeah. So if you've been like really concentrating on building your run volume, maybe just going out and hiking over the course of a long evening, over the course of a long day mm-hmm. uh, in your regard might, yeah. not, might not be a bad idea uh, where mm-hmm. you're really kind of taking the responsibility of intensity away you're just going to get some time on your feet and yeah there's value in that right mm-hmm. and there comes time when maybe you don't have the levity or the time opportunity to, to spend to spend doing that so mm-hmm. then where's your focus going to lay where are you yeah. going to start to dedicate your time and if you know uh, for example i have friends that go into these tough mutter events and they're deathly afraid of water. Interesting. So, so they need to engage a swim coach okay. to help them learn to swim. I mean, even though a lot of these obstacles don't require you to swim very far, yeah, just going into water where you're underwater for a bit and have mm-hmm. to come back up and you, you're completely disoriented and you're freaking out and they pull you from the event, right? <laughs> you know, that, that's a bummer, right? So you need to get yeah. confident in that environment. You have to learn... Mm-hmm to deal with it not to mention we haven't discussed cold oh yeah which is another big game changer yeah it's a whole nother animal that needs to be addressed Mm -hmm. and and so all of these concepts need to be laid into your plan grave consideration given to how you're going to fare given those environments Mm -hmm. and this is really again going back to the the construct here is that to sit down and periodize your training in such a way that you're breaking it into from a bigger part to smaller parts, isolating the specific tasks, looking at the timelines that you're allowed to allocate or able to allocate to these different timelines based on demand and approaching things like that. I had a conversation with uh, Ryan Atkins. It's been a while ago, probably Mm -hmm. about a year ago, I think. Uh, I had him on and we talked about how he prepares for world's toughest mutter or various events. doesn't need to be just that. Yeah. He analyzes the length of time it would take him to get through a particular obstacle 
to get through a particular segment of a race and then practices those segments of the race over and over and over again till he achieves the timeline that he knows is required to be successful. Interesting. A lot of people don't do that. You know, you might look at what the other guy's doing and you might mm -hmm. say, well, he's able to run a five-minute mile. I'm running a six-minute mile. Obviously enough, you know what your your next yeah, yeah. your next approach is going to be is to, to yeah. see what you can do to improve your speed. Yeah, you might find that you have really good endurance and your competitor has really good speed. Mm -hmm. uh, you may not focus as much on your endurance; you may focus more on your speed, mm -hmm. and vice versa. But all these considerations go into developing a very successful training program. Yeah, makes sense. So where does it go from here? You tell me. Well, the hard part, I think, believe it or not, is recovery. As I told you beforehand, and I'm not going to use names, but I had a conversation with one of the elite pro Spartan athletes on the phone just before we, we did this. Mm -hmm. Someone that is facing a bit of an injury. And they're planning on coming to see me soon. And it's not that far off in the future. But I, I suggested, so you know what? You're asking me what it is you need to do to get past this little speed bump, this little injury you're facing that's mm -hmm. starting to give you concern. How hard would it be for you to spend a couple days off? How much damage do you think it's going to be to the global training if you just said, you know what, I'm taking two, three days off to just let my body heal? I think well, it would do more good than harm, right? Well, yeah. Especially but it's, if, it's, it's, if it's, it's a, mechanically deficient. It's a difficult proposition for many athletes because if they don't feel like they're working, they don't feel oh, like yeah. they're progressing. Oh, yeah. And so good point. the harder part of it, and I was getting ready to say, is the harder part of all of it is planning the regression planning the times that you intend to recover so that you can come back stronger. Mm -hmm. And the evaluations at the end of these particular cycles is really crucial as well. So if you get to the end of a particular cycle and you might want to quantify your work, how am I doing? Is my strength up? Where am I weak? What do I need mm -hmm. to spend more time on going into the next cycle? You don't want to have a fixed program. You don't want, yeah. I, don't, I will not write a program for somebody like you 10 months out. Oh, yeah, because there's so I, many variables that could happen within yeah, that. And, well, yeah. that used to be a very popular thing to do with triathlon. Yeah. Somebody would hand you an Ironman training program that's going to take you for potentially 12 months to prepare for an Ironman. I mean, it's popular now, you know. I mean, how many 30-day, 60-day, you know, things do you see that are just kind of scouring the Internet and things like that? I mean, to say that they're successful is probably untrue, but they're out there, so... At the end of the day, you have to listen to your body and yep. using the metrics that we commonly use to, to identify how things are going are what should be what drives you. It should be what helps you for you to make decisions moving forward. My heart rate is clearly way higher. People talk about heart rate variability. Yeah. Uh, I woke up this morning. My heart rate is way higher than it normally is. What's that telling me? You should um, take the day off. Yeah. I'm not getting the recovery, or it's taking longer to recover between intervals. I'm not seeing the paces that I used to see. Mm -hmm. All this data is starting to talk to you, and it's helping you to formulate your plan. And so you need to look at all of that. At the end of the day, I think that uh, this particular podcast, I hope that the takeaway from this, the simple takeaway, the broad stroke, is that if you're going into the new season and you haven't already started to think about what events you plan for, and what it's going to take to get you to those particular goals, that this is the time to do it. 
Yeah. This is the time to sit down and ask yourself the hard questions and start itemizing all the variables that need to be in play in order to be successful. Yeah. I like how the cycles, I mean, I, obviously I'm new to that portion of it in terms of uh, the macro. What is it? The macro? The macro cycle is the largest block of time. Okay. And the meso cycle would be a division of, mm-hmm. of time. That's okay. equal generally to, if, if you're looking in your case, like we said, two and a half months, you, it's about a two and a half month cycle. Yeah. And then you'd have equal amounts of them. Right. Yeah. And within those mesocycles would be the microcycles, which would okay. be generally broken up into even uh, segments of time within that cycle. Mm-hmm. And it just gives you a way to segment the time and really get focused on what's happening in the moment what you're planning to achieve at the end of a given cycle, whether it be a really short or longer duration cycle, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, give you these timelines to plug in your recovery and plug in your assessments to find out whether you're on track and what you need to do next. So yeah. you might have a big question mark as to what you're doing in the final cycle, mm-hmm. but you'll have a checklist of things that should have been accomplished by that point in time. Yeah. So uh, let's make it really simple. Let's talk about running a marathon. Yeah. If you're running a marathon, uh, I generally would have people do a variety of time trials at various progressive distances over the course of their training period. Mm-hmm. Typically, if you're new to running a race like that, I like about 24 weeks. Yeah. So the cycles will be broken up in such a way that before you get into the last couple weeks of your training, before you start to taper, you should have a couple 20-mile time trials under your belt. Mm-hmm. Your training has pretty much come to a peak at that point, and the rest of it's just coming to a place where you're assessing your capacities and, mm-hmm. and then starting to taper to get prepared to super compensate so that when you come out there and race that you're ready to go. You're fresh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so no, what are you sense. doing? You're home for the holidays? You're home with your family? I'm home for uh, the holidays. Uh, I am off for another week so i start work again january 2nd uh so i'm very excited just to one spend time with my family two take some time off because obviously the marathon kind of put a wrench into my off season uh starting a little later so you know getting back to you know proper workload in, in the beginning of january and and starting uh starting my uh, first uh meso cycle all right have you had a good year i i think i've had a great year you know best year uh best year i've had uh and I'm not saying that cliche-wise, just racing, work, everything. So cool. I can't complain. What about you? I've had an amazing year. Yeah. I've had an amazing year. I've traveled all over the United States. I've traveled outside the country. Business is good. I've had, had a chance to meet and work with just a ton of athletes. It's just been good for me. And uh, it's kind of cool because, you know, I'm getting old. I've talked about that, <laughs> right? No, but it's, seriously. It's, no, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool because... You know, right about the time when everybody should be winding down, I'm ramping mm-hmm. up. I just yeah. find that uh, I'm getting busier than I than I can even tolerate, and uh, mm-hmm. I just it's keeping me fresh. It's keeping me young. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to 2018. Well, you got a great event to start it off. So. Yeah, January yeah. is gonna we're gonna we're gonna start out with a bang, or the super clinic is gonna be amazing. Very mm-hmm. excited about that. And then we've got all these other events that we're planning. I mean, I got people trying to get me coming back to the East Coast. I got people trying to get me to go to Canada. I got people trying to go get me to go to Africa. 
I can tell you there's a lot of people that want you to come back to Texas. So I've gotten that comment yeah, more than a few times. Yeah, so. I have too. And I'm conscious of it. I'm conscious yeah. of it. I just don't know so. where. Uh, I'd like to go back to te- I love Texas, by the way. And I love yeah. the people in Texas. And have been to Austin twice. We've been to Dallas. And uh, I've had people try to call me down to Houston. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm going to go where the, where the numbers are, where the, where the most amount of people want to see me or where the best congregation place is, I'm going. Yeah. So if people are listening, the best way to find out how to get me there is get a lot of people to say they want to see me. Yeah. The uh, Spartan 4.0 folk reached out to me mid-year and said, we'd like to have you come out here. And with when from the time that we pulled the trigger, 48 hours later, we sold out two clinics. There so, you go, guys. It's that easy. Well, yeah. And I said, yeah. I'm, you, if the people say come, I'm coming. But it's going to take more than me just you know, throwing a, a dart in the map and deciding to go there. It's going to require that uh, it's commitment. Yeah, enough people out yeah. there want to see it happen. So yeah. anyway, listen, uh, best of holidays to you. Best of holidays to all my friends out there that's been listening to us and been dedicated to us, especially those that have voted for us for the... <laughs> And the ones that are like probably thinking, man, can I take my vote back? We love you too, swear to God. Yeah. All good and fun. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. You take care, Rich. Happy holidays to you. You too. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.